Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs? Uh, Proverbs 19 and verse 21 is where we're going to be this morning. It wasn't where I intended to be this morning, uh, but you'll see as we uh, progress this morning uh, the reason why it's where we're going to be this morning. Proverbs 19, 21. I have to confess to you that my favorite night of the year is Christmas Eve. Um, when we come together on Christmas Eve for our candlelight service, it, it is just, it's, it's a joyful night. It's a joyful night to be with you as a church family. It's a joyful night for our family to be together. We get to go home and, and open stockings and play games and sit in the quietness of the evening. And so we desperately look forward to Christmas Eve every year. It's just a wonderful day. So we were on our way to church at 3 o'clock on Christmas Eve for the 5 o'clock service, and we pulled into the parking lot, and there were four fire engines in the parking lot at 3 o'clock on Christmas Eve. I walked up to one of the uh, firemen who was outside in all of his gear, and I said, what is going on? And he didn't even really say, he just said, come here. And I followed him around the back of the building, and the back steps of the building were a waterfall. Water was coming out like the river had been rerouted through our building. And we went inside. There were firefighters everywhere. There was water gushing out of the ceiling. It's hard to see in the pictures. There were two inches of water throughout almost all of the building. Um, and uh, Katie looked at me and she goes, you think we can still have service? And I was like, probably, uh, probably not. Um, uh, so... You know, we started pushing water out the building. I started making panicked phone calls and texts. And many of you were in the process of putting on your Christmas Eve clothing and getting ready to come, finishing your meals. And gosh, within 15 or 20 minutes, uh, the building started to fill up with many of you. And uh, in the next picture, you can see many of the folks who came with their shop vacs and their squeegees and their mops some of them dressed in their Christmas Eve clothing. They brought fans. They brought everything they had. And over the course of the next couple hours, we were able to get the water out of the building. And uh, we looked at each other and we said, that is not what we planned for Christmas Eve. Um, but you know what? God does amazing things in our lives when we can let go of our plans. And that Last picture there is an amazing thing that the Lord did that night because he took the people of God and he humbled us and he brought us together to serve and to bless one another and to give of ourselves. It wasn't what we planned, but it was good. And that's the way God works when things don't go according to plan. One of the most important lessons in our life is to learn that our plans don't always conform to the purposes of God. And one of the most difficult things in the midst of that is trusting God when we can't see where we're going. And I want to make that the theme of today's message and maybe Maybe it's a good theme for the next year. I mean, maybe it's a good theme for the last three years. 
And if it's a good theme for the last three years, and if this verse has been written down for thousands of years, maybe, maybe it's just a good theme for our lives. God's purposes are always better than our plans. And so we must live our plans in submission to His revealed will. That's what we're going to look at this morning from the book of Proverbs. This verse was an important verse to me growing up. It was maybe my life's verse along with just a couple others that were right at the center for me. And it came to mind this week as I was thinking about what to preach on. Uh, Proverbs is a collection of wisdom sayings. And the book of Proverbs isn't structured to be statements of truth on all circumstances in every single way. Everything's always going to be perfect. But they are statements of wisdom that in time, God brings to truth in our lives if we're willing to let Him do it. In the statement of truth, the great wisdom of God that He wants us to see this morning comes from this verse, Proverbs 19.21, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. This ends the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together as we look for His wisdom this morning. Father, would You help us as we reflect together on this very concise but transformatively beautiful truth that You've given us from Your Word. And Father, I pray that we will not examine it like a scientist but that we will receive it as human beings who believe in you and who are struggling to trust you. And that, Father, you will give us connections from this truth into our lives, even even some of the things that we are wrestling with right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's talk about our plans, because we have them, don't we? We have plans. And you know, the first thing I'd want us to understand about that, the passage says many are the plans in the mind of a man, the mind being the place where we process reality. That's the place that God has given us to do that, and from the very beginning of time when He created human beings in His image, He made us to be people who were capable of rational thought. And not just capable of rational thought, but capable of creativity and ingenuity. People who were able to engineer solutions to complex problems. People who were able to explore and discover and create with a a lowercase c. From the raw materials that the Lord has given us. And we in the 21st century are the the recipients of, of thousands and thousands of years of human beings doing exactly what God made them to do. In the first words of the Bible, the first chapter of the Bible, it says this in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping things 
that creep on the earth. God wanted us to have dominion. We were made in His image. That famous painting in the Sistine Chapel where the finger of God touches the finger of Adam and He, he conveys to human beings something special and, and unique and profound that only exists in the heart of God Himself. And He passes that on to us as the unique creatures in this world, different from, from all the other life forms in this world, that we bear something that is unique to God, and that is His ability to have dominion, to reign, to think and act and do and make. And as you walk through places like the Sistine Chapel, or you get in your new car, or you, you go to a concert and you listen to the beauty or you experience the beauty or the creative imagination of human beings, the engineering minds of people. It's astonishingly good and beautiful and right. What I want to say from that is God made us to plan. He created you and me to be planners this verse in proverbs is not a critique of planning we know that from other parts of the bible proverbs 21 a different passage proverbs 25 21 5 the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance the writer of proverbs says or luke chapter 14 and verses 28 and 29, this is Jesus speaking to the people around him as he's beginning to tell a longer parable. And he says, which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? Whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it will begin to mock him. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, it's natural to plan. And if you're not planning you're not doing what you should be doing. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, the Apostle Paul, as he's doing his ministry and talking about the places he wants to travel and go and see the people of God and preach the gospel, he says in 2 Corinthians 1.17, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? You see, he's saying, I'm, I'm planning now he says, I'm not doing it according to the flesh, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but he's, he's planning. And what I, what I want us to think about this morning is the fact that God has called us to plan. It is not a sin to plan. It is not a product of the fall that we are planners. That didn't happen after the fall. That was a pre-fall reality for the human beings in this world that we were created to plan. And so, brothers and sisters, plan. You know what I'm going to be doing next December? Katie and I, we're going to be planning a Christmas Eve service. Whether it's five degrees below zero or St. Louis, it could be 83. I don't know. We're going to be planning a Christmas Eve service. We're not going to be thinking back to December 24th, 22, and say, oh, the pipes might burst, or the building might burst into flames, we won't plan. We're going to plan. And in this room, I know a lot of you are in the midst of important plans. Some of you are 
younger people, you're, you're thinking about your future, you're thinking about education, you're thinking about relationships, you're thinking about what you want to do with your life. You know what God says to you? Plan. Get educated. Talk to people. Learn. Chart a course. Be intentional. And do it because God made you to do it. Don't sit back and be passive and wait for things to happen to you. Plan. Do. Make. Create. Be. Experience. It's who God made you to be. That's our plans. The Bible says many are the plans in the mind of a man. But then it says this, but. It is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Let's talk about God's purpose. What do we mean when we speak of God's purpose or God's will? There's, there's two aspects of God's will in the Bible. A um, little bit of theology for us to ponder this morning. The first kind of will or purpose that God has that comes up frequently in the scriptures is what we might call his prescriptive will. It's what he's revealed as the truth in his word. It's what he, what he wants us to do because it's right and it's good. And the Bible is chock full of the prescriptive will of God. You find it in many places. You find it in places especially like the law, the Ten Commandments, or the Sermon on the Mount, and you'll find it in the teaching parts of God's Word. It is His prescriptions of what is right and good and true. For instance, one small example of this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 3, this is the will of God, Paul writes, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. It is the will of God, it is the prescriptive will of God that we act responsibly and according to the teaching of His Word in the way that we conduct ourselves in our sexual relationships. And that whole idea expands to everything. God has a will that He expects of us, the right things that we're called to do and be. That's the prescriptive will of God. And there's many places that we can find that. The other kind of will in the Bible when it speaks of the will of God is His decretive will. That is the will of God that comes to pass in real time. Sometimes we call it the sovereign purpose of God. It is what God permits, even though some things in the midst of it are not good when we look at them and experience them. That is the decretive will of God. And here's an example of that from 1 Peter Chapter 3 and verse 17, Peter writes, It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You hear what he's saying? You know what, Christian? If you trust the Lord and you follow His way, His prescriptive will, it's very possible that you might be asked or exposed to a penalty from the sinful world for that. And that's part of God's will. It's not His prescriptive will. It is His decretive will. It is His sovereign purpose 
in your life. And Peter gives us a hint at why God might do something like that. He says, it's better. So he's saying, I don't want you to suffer for doing good. God isn't a kind of person that tries to make his people suffer for doing good, but there is action in the world from the enemies of God that will expose the people of God when they are doing good to things that don't feel good. And that's the decretive will of God. And that takes us then to this idea of the sovereignty of God, which is a huge concept that reigns over so many things, but it knits together, it weaves together, it folds together a lot of different doctrines, amongst them the omnipotence of God, that's His power, His omnipresence, that's the nature of His being, His omniscience, His knowledge of all things, perfect knowledge, His providence, that is His will in the world. So John Frame, a a theologian uh, in the Reformed tradition, talks about the doctrine of God's sovereignty is simply this. It is the doctrine of God's Godship. It's what makes Him, maybe above anything else, God. Lord. So we go back to our verse, Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord, of God, sovereign God. It will stand. Now there is another way of thinking about this that's developed over time that's an untrue way of thinking about it. It's a doctrine called open theism um, that's uh, come to pass of late. These are people that believe in God, but they see God as a responder. He doesn't act in advance of anything. He doesn't plan anything. All he does is he goes around fixing things that get broken. And people people have imported that doctrine into Christianity to try to resolve what they feel like is a a tension between the sovereignty of God and the freedom of human beings. But you've got to ask folks who believe in open theism, why, why bother? Why bother? I mean, you can't pray that God will do something because he can't act in advance of anything. What kind of a God is it? Really what it is, is it's a God made in our image, which isn't God and doesn't really help and can't resolve the tensions that we feel in this life. God is instead described as sovereign. In one of the places, there's many places we could look, but Daniel chapter 4 in verses 34 and 35 is one of the most concise biblical statements that underlines the sovereignty of God. It says his dominion, his dominion, remember we talked about that in Genesis 1, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And there are multiple places in the Bible where God is described in that way as we pull back and we look at the grand picture of who God is. Now listen, you, you might hear that, and you might say, ah, that's, that feels really crowding to me. That scares me a little bit, you know? That's, that's kind of something that, that I'm not sure I want to believe in a God like that. But, but I just say to you, um, if that's not God doing that, then who has control of anything? 
What purposes result of anything? What good can be found in the midst of evil and difficulty if there is not a God that we can look to to help us make sense of it in time? And so the doctrine of God's sovereignty, which is scary to some, for others, including myself on my journey of faith, because I resisted it for a long time, is now a doctrine of grand comfort that enables me to be able to walk into a building that is flooding on Christmas Eve as a pastor and say, okay, God, what are you doing? Show me. Now, what are the abuses of the doctrine of sovereignty? Well, some people ignore it completely. Some people try to restrict the sovereignty of God to spiritual things only. Some people try to figure out the sovereignty of God in advance of things happening. That's a fun puzzle to try to work on. Um, And some people resign themselves to making no difference at all and become very passive. That's what we call the doctrine of Christian fatalism. Whatever will be, will be. I don't have to do anything or think or act. God will just take care of it. That's an abuse of the doctrine of sovereignty. God wants us to plan. He wants us to do. He wants us to be. He wants us to act. But He wants us to do it in the context of understanding His sovereignty. It's interesting. I'm, I'm not a, um, I'm, I am not a Marvel expert. Some of you in the room that are uh, younger than me are Marvel experts experts and you've watched all the marvel series some of us grew up actually reading comic books anybody remember comic books anyone okay anyway we read about them when we were kids uh they've made massive movie franchises out of them and television franchises and once in a while in these franchises these movies and tv shows they do address some really really complex issues including things like the nature of time and control of time and one of those Uh, has come out recently in a show in the Marvel series called Loki. It's about a Norse god, and this character Loki is kind of a uh, a mayhem maker. He's like the Allstate guy, right? He likes to make mayhem in the universe, and he's been making mayhem uh, over and over again. But in the show Loki, um, he, he, he is transported to this encounter that he has with a being called He Who Remains. And, you know, in the Marvel lore, that, that's probably like the chief god of, of all things. And they're having a conversation, the, the one, the he who remains, uh, he, Loki, and his com- compatriot, Sylvie. And they're, they're, they're talking about time and the timeline and this, what they call the sacred timeline. And he who remains is the one who, who preserves the sacred timeline. And he calls in Loki, who's a mayhem maker with timelines, and he says, you can't do this. There's one timeline, and you're in it. And he shows him his future, and it becomes weighty uh, to Loki. He's no longer sure of his, auto- his autonomy, and he starts to question whether his autonomy and making mayhem is really worth it when it's going to do damage to the fabric of the universe. His compatriot, Sylvie, though, um, isn't agreeing with him and she wants to keep making mayhem he begs her to turn from her foolish ways and she begins to argue with him she says this why aren't we seeing this the same way and his response is fascinating it it summarizes two possible ways that we can respond to the sovereignty of God he says says to her because you can't trust and I can't be trusted 
See what he's saying? We either reject God's rule because we don't trust him or we accept it because we know we can't trust ourselves. And that's a pretty profound thing for a Marvel comic book to be getting us and our young people to think about. Which category are you in? Are you one of the people who's really struggling to trust God and therefore you want to seize your own future? Or are you a person who recognizes that the reality is I can't trust myself and I need to trust him? So, how do we make better sense of understanding our duty to plan alongside God's promise to reign sovereignly? I'm going to go back to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? See, what he's differentiating there is there is a way to plan according to the Spirit, and there is a way to plan according to the flesh. What does it mean to plan within the purposes of God? And this is the practical things I want you to take with you as you start to wrestle with what you're planning on uh, this year, maybe even this week. God first wants us to plan purposefully. He wants us to plan purposefully. And He wants us to do that in the context of His prescriptive will. He wants us to take the Word of God... And he wants us to plan with it open in our lives. I'll use an illustration for you. When I first uh, went to the Middle East on a missions trip, I was introduced for the first time to Turkish coffee. Anybody ever had Turkish coffee? You know, they make Turkish coffee. They take the coffee beans, which they grind up, and they pour them right in the cup. And then they pour hot water in special vessels, and they stir it around. And then they very slowly pour it in your cup, but there's still going to be coffee grinds in that cup. And the shape of the cup is very careful so that you drink it very slowly, so you get the full flavor of the coffee, but you don't get the grounds in your mouth. Well, I didn't know that the first time I went, right? So I'm like, oh, coffee. And it was like, sand. I just had a sand uh, coffee in my mouth. And I, for the rest of the day, it was like coffee grains all over me. Um, what we have, most of us, is we have drip coffee, right? When you make your coffee in the morning, what do you do? You grind up the beans, and you put them in the basket, and there's a filter, and you run the hot water through it, and that hot water saturates it, and the filter filters out the grains of the coffee, and you have a concentrated substance underneath. I want you to think of that illustration in terms of what God's asking us to do when we plan spiritually. This is the filter. You have a plan, and He wants you to run it through the filter of His Word. And ask yourself, does it conform to His Word? What I'm planning to do. And that's hard work. It's part of the reason that we gather as church, because we learn from His Word to be able to know what particular part of this book we need to run the plan through. Marriage? Ephesians 5 and 6 is a great place. Genesis 1 is a great place. Run it through the filter. What comes out on the other side will be much better than if you didn't do it. That's the first thing. We are called to plan purposefully. Secondly, he wants us to plan provisionally. 
Uh, if anyone's a golfer here, you know, uh, uh, Tim, I know Tim's a golfer. One of the things that happens when you golf is you hit bad shots. I hit a lot of bad shots. And uh, you hit one, and it goes in the neighbor, neighbor's yard, um, um, or you're not sure where it went, like I lost it, and so you hit a provisional. Okay, you hit another ball just to keep things safe. And God, God wants us to go out. He wants us to tee up our life, and he wants us to hit the shot. But if we lose track of it, we need to know we have to make the plan provisionally because God might be doing something that we're not seeing. Our best laid plans filtered through God's revealed will are subject to his decretive will. So we enter the planning process with an awareness of the fact that he might change it. And we don't get rigid because it's the moment, right? It's the moment when, when we walked in the building and it's flooding. I just wanted this party that's like, What God wants us to be able to do is to walk in and take a deep breath and go, okay, why? Why? He wants us to plan provisionally. James chapter 4 and verses 13 and 14. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We don't know the future. We don't know the decretive will of God. So we enter our day recognizing that some big plan in that day may change according to the will of God. And faith is learning to trust Him in that. We plan purposely, provisionally. Thirdly, we plan prayerfully we plan according to what we know but we always lay what we know at the feet of a God who knows everything and we know this because in the Sermon on the Mount the prayer that we learn is to pray for the will of God if it be your will and that may seem like a throwaway phrase I would encourage you in the year ahead as you pray and you should pray about everything but remember as an act of faith to attach to it as often as you can in real faith the line if it be your will if this is what is best for me and my family and my church and my country and my business and my school whatever it is my children my spouse, if it's, if it's what your will is, do it and give me the faith in the midst of it. Plan prayerfully. And finally, plan perspectively. I don't even know if that's a word. Um, uh, the, word uh, the word program told me it wasn't, but that's okay. It's four Ps. Purposefully, provisionally, prayerfully, and perspectively. What I mean by that is we, we plan recognizing that everything is for the glory of God. And God is always doing something and he's using all these things in our life to change the dynamics of the things that we experience. He's doing things that we don't understand for purposes that are enormously good. The greatest example of which is what? The cross. 
the plan of the Romans and the Jews was to execute a man that was causing them a problem. And if you or I were there, as the disciples were there, it's like, no way, we have to stop this. This can never happen. God doesn't want this to happen. How could this innocent man be hung on a tree to bleed out in front of us? No way, let's stop it. What would have happened if that was stopped? It says in Acts chapter 4, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city they were, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. And here's the key, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That was the apostles reflecting on the cross as they were experiencing persecution in the days of the early church. And they're like, how wrong did we get that? And now we see what God did. Let's sit in this moment in faith and let's see what God does. Jerome uh, Merritt, who led worship this morning, works in prison ministry and he handed me a letter that he received from an inmate at the St. Louis jail the other day and he asked me if I would share it with you and it's the perfect thing for us to think about as we conclude this morning. This Young man, his name is Christian. And he wrote Jerome and a number of other people ministering in the jail. And I'm going to skip a little bit of it, but here's the main things he said. First off, I'd like to thank y'all for making the many sacrifices you've had to make to be with us. Like the time y'all take out of your day away from your friends and family, especially in the instances when y'all were not even permitted to come upstairs. I can't begin to describe how big of an impact y'all have had challenging me mentally, emotionally, and of course spiritually. Before coming to jail and meeting y'all, I was not a Christian. Far from it. I didn't go to church or pray and never read the Bible. I did believe in God, but I just didn't think He would love me or accept me. It took a long time for me to finally accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior and put my life in His hands, and y'all have showed me that I didn't choose Him, but that He chose me. Before I thought that Christians were crazy when they said things like, God speaks to me, or, or God put me through a difficult situation for a reason. But now that I'm a true believer and I'm coming to know God better, I realize that God has been speaking to me my whole life. And He didn't put me in difficult circumstances to punish me, but to teach me and to bring me closer to Him. And I believe, listen to this, I believe that is why I'm in jail today. Because this is the only way that I could finally listen to him even though I didn't want to be here. I'm glad because this is the best thing that has ever happened to me. Now I can hear the Lord speaking to me every day through his word and other people. I am revitalized and more motivated and passionate about life than ever before and I owe it all to God 
But if it weren't for y'all, I might have never opened my heart to the Lord. And he goes on talking about his hopes for his life. But doesn't that stun you? Going to jail was the best thing that ever happened to me. Only a Christian can say something like that. I don't know what it is for you today. I don't know what the Lord might do in 2023. Maybe 2023 is the year in some of your lives where God is going to finally break your heart in a way that gives you eyes to see and ears to hear His great salvation. Maybe 2023 is the year where God finally changes your perspective on some of the trials you've had. Maybe 2023 is the year where you encounter tremendous spiritual growth in the midst of a painful trial. I don't know what it is. God does. What he would say to you, to me this morning is, get busy planning for 2023. But do it prayerfully. Do it with perspective. Do it with purpose. Do it with a recognition that God might have a plan that looks different than yours. And if he steers you a different way, get on your knees and ask him to make it clear and wait for him to show you. That's the power of a good and sovereign God. Let's pray. Father, we ask now as we come to the table, which is a picture for us of that moment that we just talked about where Jesus hung on a tree bleeding out to save us and to give us faith that he's conquered death and sin and the grave. I pray, God, that you'll give us that kind of faith as we go forward into this year and that whether our our pipes burst or we encounter financial losses or we have difficult relational circumstances, even, Father, if we face disease, loss, or death, that you would give us faith in the midst of these times to look to you and to trust you because only you are ultimately willing to hold us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.